When you break it down to something as simple as that, you realize how easy it is to access those people. So if you are raising funding for a business in a specific industry, you should think about who might have been successful in that industry already. And you find them on LinkedIn and you ask them for some advice. And you know, if, they, if they're somebody that's exited a business in your industry, they're gonna have some money and they're likely wanting to support other businesses. And so if you just break it down to a really simple aspect of, you're just looking for people who are interested in what you're doing and they have money and, and you know, and, and will want to support you. Hello and welcome to the Bossing It podcast. This series will be exploring real life stories of women on a mission to build big brands and fulfilled lives. Each guest will share the ups and downs of growing their business and get real about the challenges life has thrown their way on the road to success. Each episode will offer a fresh outlook on life and business and you'll also get to hear top tips from these amazing founders that'll inspire you on your own mission of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Connie Longden Jefferson, and today I'm joined by investment expert and a woman at the epicentre of the Brighton entrepreneurial scene, Christina Perricate. Christina has a long history of helping founders achieve their dreams. She previously managed Brighton's largest entrepreneur accelerator and held the position of Entrepreneurship Director at co-working space Platform 9. In August 2020, she turned her attention to increasing early-stage startup investment activity in the Southeast. Her latest venture, Southeast Angels, was born. The community brings together local active angel investors and recently exited founders who are keen on investing to form a knowledgeable and engaged investment network. The aim? to create the perfect forum for ambitious founders to get connected, raise funding, and access expertise to take their business to the next level. In this episode, we talk about Christina's journey so far, her top tips for raising funds, and the importance of diversity in the investment space. We also discuss the impact the pandemic has had on the way we fundraise, and why you don't need to live in a big city to be a successful founder. I really love chatting to Christina. I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Bossing It podcast. Today I'm joined by Christina Perricati, who is the founder of Southeast Angel and just a woman who is in the know when it comes to all things investing and fundraising and accelerators. So I'm so pleased to be joined by her today. Thanks, Christina. Hi, Connie. So glad to be here. So for anyone that doesn't know you or Southeast Angels, could you give us a little bit of a, I guess, just a breakdown of, of your kind of story and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. So I, um, I won't go all the way back, but just in general, over my career, I've always been, I've always wanted to start my own business and I've always just been really interested in startups and how they grow and succeed. And so I, I ended up uh, throughout my career working with quite a few startups and working in marketing consultancy, all around helping companies to figure out those next steps. Um, and eventually I ended up running an accelerator here in Brighton, which uh, was uh, the largest accelerator here, it was the NatWest Accelerator. And I got to work day in, day out with amazing startup companies through all the different stages. And I, I learned so much from, from that role and also got to meet so many amazing people as well. Uh, but what was really interesting there was really understanding the biggest challenges that companies had, both in general as startups, but also locally here, uh, where I'm based in Brighton. And so what that led me to do is to, to set up Southeast Angels because one of the biggest challenges was around early stage funding. Um, so companies in the local area didn't have a go-to investment hub to raise funding from. And so they tended to have to travel to London where it's the, you know one of the most competitive markets uh, to, to raise funding from. Uh, so I decided to, to set it up here and, and then Southeast Angels was born as Brighton's only angel group. Amazing, and when was that? Uh, so that was, so we, so we launched in November last year, so November 2020. So it hasn't been a wow. year yet. <laughs> no, but like a really interesting year to, to, to launch a business and kind of go and do something new. It sounds like you've been surrounded by startups and helped so many startups um, achieve their dreams and their goals. What's it been like for you now 
being slightly on the other side of it where you're launching your own venture oh my god it's it's the typical thing of like all the stuff you help people with and then you just make the same mistakes that you would obviously uh, advise people not to do so i think uh, I, I experienced the the most common challenge which was you know it's all around mindset right so you're setting something up and you're worried it's not going to work and it just seems impossible at the beginning and um and i think what actually really helped me with that was at the time you know it was you know we were in lockdown and the world was in chaos and uh, i had quite a few personal things that happened to me during that time and everything was so chaotic and a mess that actually setting up a business seemed like just the most <laughs> organized and calm thing to do and and so actually strangely i think that you know how they say opportunities born out of adversity i feel like everything that was happening kind of helped me to get over that initial mindset of like, this is going to be really difficult, um, which it still was, but it just felt like something that I was able to focus on during that time. Um, and, you know, there was just all the typical things of actually just how do you tangibly set up the business and how should you structure it and who should you employ and when should you employ them? And nobody can really help you with that a lot of the time. It's just things you have to go through yourself, even if you know how to help other people to do it. So yeah definitely definitely went through a lot of that i think it's so sort of refreshing to hear that because i think especially someone probably looks at you helping all these different businesses and it would assume that you don't have those same challenges when it comes to maybe the insecurities or your mindset or you know just kind of getting over that initial maybe imposter syndrome phase but i think everyone no matter how experienced you are in teaching other people how to run businesses <laughs> um it, when it's your kind of baby and your kind of dream for sure. Brighton is obviously really, really special to you. And how how does it feel to have been able to help more people in that area get get access to funding on their doorstep? It's it feels great now that I'm actually starting to see that impact. You know, that's that's exactly what led me to start the business. And actually, you know, like I said, always being this person that wanted to start a company. When I started Southeast Angels, it didn't even feel like that process that I imagined of like, oh, I'm going to start a business. And then I started, it was actually more uh, a process of, oh, this is really frustrating challenge. I want to fix it. I can see how I can fix it. And then just naturally going through those steps and ending up with a company by accident almost. So um, now that we're actually seeing impact, we're seeing statistics of the investments we're making. And, you know, hopefully that keeps, that keeps growing to actually see the tangible impact is really, really exciting. Um, because before, you know, I'd, I'd write, uh, you know, I'd do a podcast about it and I write stuff about Brighton and how we can help, but none of it was direct, you know, whereas now you can actually see the funding increasing. So yeah, it's, it's really, really exciting. That's so exciting. And for anyone that maybe doesn't quite know how the process works of, you know, working with you or like the how Southeast Angel works and how you bring these angel investors together, could you kind of just give a bit of an overview? Cause I think it's really interesting. Absolutely, yeah. So, so the the angel network business model is is pretty standard across you know across the board. So, an angel group essentially brings together a group of high net worth individuals. So, as a business raising money, rather than having having to find each individual person, you're able to go to a group of people. Um, and so, we basically vet uh, opportunities for those investors and then we get the ones that are most suitable or most investable in front of the investors so you're kind of having to jump through that initial vetting hoop and then you get to present to a bunch of uh, investors that will be suitable for you and the way that that we work is we essentially take a success fee from the company of the money raised um, so you are able to raise quicker and access more investors but you do then have to obviously pay the the fee to, to be able to do that yeah but like you said it's a success fee rather than an upfront fee which i think is really important oh, because yeah, for sure. it means that even if you're not in a situation where you've got loads of disposable income or you know your cash flow you actually can still go for it and see and see what happens and then you never know never know who might invest um how has your previous experience you know working with accelerators and, and that sort of thing how has that really helped you in what you're doing now I think what, what's been really interesting to see is the, you know, the actual worlds of investors and startups are quite, even though they're constantly interacting, like it's quite different. And I think a lot of the time, um, people who might manage funds or set up these groups might not have been 
in that day-to-day life of what the startups Mm. are going through. So I think what I've been able to bring in is a bit more of that empathy and understanding of what startups are looking for, what challenges they have, and what they need to know in order to be successful in the fundraising process. Um, And of course, I'm, you know, I've been learning quite a bit from the investor side through, through running, through setting up the business, but being able to bring in a real understanding of what the companies need and how they can be successful in the fundraising process has been, um, has probably been the most valuable thing as to what's actually helped me get to where I am. And also because I'd already set up uh, quite a, a good network here locally with startups, it means that our lead flow is really healthy, you know, f- from the get go. And like you said, you've really you've been there. You've been in the trenches with these people, so you understand what they're going through, which must must be great for the startups. It's great for the investors because you can give that perspective, um, which is really helpful. But I suppose the startups that are coming through Southeast Angels are really going to feel supported, and that you understand what they're going through, which I'm sure is really helpful. I think, especially because with investment, I think there's a lot of myths around it, and I think it can feel quite scary. And I think. And I'd love to know your thoughts on this because maybe it is a generalization, but it feels like there is also a bit of a gender gap where I think women are a little less likely to go and get investment or raise as much. You know, there's so many statistics around, you know, how women will raise less or, you know, the the diversity we have at the top end with the angel investors. Do you think that that diversity is still really big? problem you know do we are we still lacking female investors and is that trickling down to female founded businesses as well uh in in short yes absolutely so there is there is a huge gap on both sides first of all when i set up southeast angels i wanted to set this up as a you know a really diverse group and i'm not going to go live until we've got a 50 50 split of women and men investors and um, I struggled so much you know having the being proactive and actually wanting to do that I was I couldn't I couldn't do it Um, uh, and so when when I initially set up the group I had five investors and they were all um, male investors and eventually I've managed to get one female investor in our group so we've got 11 investors right now one of them's a woman and you know that that was hard work, and just um, and and just actually reaching out to people. The amount of um, female investors I was able to find was was really really small, and those investors didn't tend to invest in startups, but more in property or funds, and so right. So th- th- there absolutely are less female investors. I think I think the um, the overall statistic is fifteen to twenty percent of all angel investors are women, which is, you know, it's actually higher than I've got in my group. <laughs> but I think also the fact that the southeast area, so outside of London, doesn't really have a lot of um, angel investor groups. You know, that that's probably another reason as to why it'll be lower here compared to, for example, London. Um, the capital cities will mm-hmm. be doing a little bit better around that diversity. Um, and then, and then, what was even more interesting to find out when I set when I set it up was that looking at the applications we were receiving and practically going out there and asking female founders to apply, we had such a low number of women actually applying for funding in the first place. So even if I wanted to have a 50-50 split up investors, and even if I wanted to help more women raise investment, just the actual the, the people weren't coming forward. Um, and and actually what we found I think it was 19% of all of our applications for funding um, are have a fem- female founder or a female co-founder so uh, you know have a, a woman on in the co-founding team which was ridiculously low um, and I think overall it's something like uh, the, the overall statistic is like 16% of um, all um, investment applications received for angel investment is 16% and then there's mixed gender teams is around 40% and the rest is all male teams so I I think there's something that can be done can be said there around women coming forward more to raise funding um, and also asking for more money if you look at the overall statistics of how much men ask for and how much women ask for it's women ask for less than half of what men tend to ask for in in just generalizing data wow i think that almost feels reflective of you know when we're talking about in the corporate world when it's about applying for jobs and men you know will apply for jobs when they i can't remember the exact statistic but it's like 
they definitely don't have all the things that they're looking for whereas women need to have pretty much everything and i think it's still that it's it feels like a similar mentality of men are like right i'm just gonna go for it i'm gonna answer this money like even if i'm worried that maybe i'm not gonna get it like i'm just gonna go for it and then women are maybe a bit more reserved is i mean obviously you've seen it from loads of different angles it'd be really interesting to know what your take on it is as what are those key issues when it comes to the gender gap is it you know that men are you know, the women are less risk averse? Is it that I know it's a cocktail of things really, but what what do you think are the key yeah. ones? Yeah, do you know I think I mean yeah, like you said, there's there's so many things and it's hard to pin it down on one thing. But if if there was if we were to pinpoint one thing that we could work on and change, it's um, it, there's it's definitely a confidence thing for sure. So. Uh, you know, as you just described there, men are more likely to come forward and, and ask for, for something. And they're much more likely to be confident in what they're asking for. Um, and even just like, you know, questioning somebody on their valuation of how much they've put back, how much value they've put on their business. You do tend to see female founders being less confident in their answers on that question, for example. And a lot of the time, things like valuations and how much money you're asking for is all about just how you ask for it and how confident you are when you ask in, in terms of whether people will agree with it, right? So wow. it's very much a psychological thing. But yeah, there does tend to be an issue with confidence there. And I think, and, and if there's something that can be done there to support female founders, it's how can you build your confidence to just ask for what you need and believe that you can do something huge um, and investors would want to come on board for that. Um, and then I think there's also a, re a really big challenge around networks. So uh, female founders not being involved with companies that have raised big amounts of funding in the first place. So, because what you tend to see is that the people who start businesses are the ones that, you know, maybe they were in a team of a startup that was really successful and they raised a lot of money. And, and then they go on to, rate, to, to set up their own business and raise a lot of money because they've seen it happen. It's that whole role model uh, theory. You know, you've seen it happen, therefore you can do it. And if there are less women in those networks, then they're less likely to go out and start a business and raise a lot of money. So I think there's something there to be done around integrating networks a bit better. So bringing together, mm. you know, male founders who've, who've been successful and raised a lot of money and sitting them down with uh, women who are just starting a business and making sure that they kind of share experiences and uh, pick up that that confidence and, and what is um what, what they can be capable of yeah 100 percent. i think right you can't be what you can't see and if you're you've got these limiting beliefs maybe that because you're you've not been there and seen it like i think you're right if you've gone along the ride with a startup and you've gone to exit and you can see okay this is kind of how you do it and this is the route and again, I think that's that's maybe not even a gender thing, but it's like if you've got people that have come from that working background, but when then there might be people that have never worked in that environment, but have still got an amazing idea for a business, and then they might not know how to do it. So I think you're you're right. I, are there other things around when it comes to investors? Like you just said, there's a real diversity issue there. Can you think of why there's not many female angel investors? And also, does that trickle down to kind of I guess the confidence of women going into rooms and not seeing any women and then does it have this kind of whole knock-on effect down to the, the founders and the businesses mm. yeah so I think I think there's a couple of things happening there so, so the first really obvious one is that in the past you know over history men have tended to have the money so um, they they will likely have higher net worths at this point to to invest in companies um, but as time goes on women are inheriting that money and making their own money and so if you look at just the really big picture of things that's kind of where the issues come from is that men tended to be the ones with the money and the ones going out there and investing it so it's it's that really old school issue and it's going to take time to to fix that side of things right but it's but it's happening and then there is um the issue that I think again with those network side of things so there's been men out there in, in boys clubs essentially talking about how to make money and how to invest and how to become wealthy and women haven't tended to be in those kind of communities and so there are less women who know about the tax reliefs of investing for example and so they might not even consider doing that because startup investing is really risky right it's one of the riskiest ways to invest but you also get amazing tax breaks here in the UK for doing that. And a lot of people don't really know about that. Um, so I think there's a lot to be done around creating more communities for women to talk about money. 
because we haven't, you know, in general, especially in England, money's quite a taboo subject, like people don't really talk about that. But there's so much we should be talking about, you know, about how to ask for a raise, how to build your wealth, how to invest your money, because you absolutely should be doing that in some sort of capacity. Um, so women don't really talk about that. And I think that that's something that can be uh, fixed for sure. And then the confidence thing is a huge one. There's quite a few female investors I've spoken to and I've asked them to join the group. And they've kind of said, you know, well, I don't really quite have the money at this point or I've only got this much. Um, so I'm, I'm not quite sure. And then they don't even enter the room. Whereas I've had guys reach out to me and say, I don't quite have the money, but I really want to be involved so I can learn and I can get a step in the door. And I was like, great, you know, that's absolutely fine. So yeah, it's a combination of those three things, I think. Yeah, it's really interesting how that confidence gap is affecting both the investment side and the founder side. Like I think it's, well, I think it goes through everything we do as women, but it's, and it's frustrating that we're still having this conversation and that it's still a reality that there's this big confidence gap, but it's really real. Like it's, it's really real. And we're, we're still the new people at the clubs, you know, this boys club that we've kind of broken down, but we're still like the new kids on the block. And so it's understandable that we're a bit lacking in confidence. Do you see um, diversity aside from gender? Are there other, I'm sure there are other issues of diversity when it comes to angel investing space? And is that something that you're hoping to challenge with your work? Yes, absolutely. I think that's a really simple answer. Like, yes, our group, for example, is an all white group. And again, it's, I think it's really important to continuously be proactive uh, to keep seeking people out and to encourage people to join and make it easier for people to to access these kind of communities because it isn't just a case of they don't know about it it's a case of you being welcoming and, and making it an approachable community I think that's really important um, but there are again I, th- I think similar thing to women maybe not owning the money before there's probably a case of of that, a lot of the wealth being in, I was going to say white communities, that, that's how, I don't know if that's the right <laughs> term to use, but in terms of the way that wealth is spread, that is t- tends to be where it is. And again, and I think, I think I've always, I, I've always had really strong values around this kind of thing. And something that I questioned myself at one point was, I'm, you know, am I helping rich people get richer, essentially? Um, and I'm, am I, am I adding to the problem? And I, th- I thought about that really long and hard and I thought, do I feel comfortable about that? Is that really what I'm doing? And then I realized actually, partly, maybe, right? But those people are going to do that anyway. And actually I can, by staying strong my values and being in the game, I can actually change the game from the inside out rather than just getting annoyed about it from the outside, right? So I have now the control of bringing in more female, making sure that every pitch event we have, there's a female uh, um, founder pitching, you know, making sure that we prioritize diverse groups of founders, even if we have to say no to some other people. So I think when I flipped it around like that, I realized actually it is going to be tough to make it diverse. But as long as I continuously focus on that, I actually have a chance to change something, even if it's something small on a small scale in the Southeast. Yeah, it's so tough, but it's, it, again, it's an exciting challenge to, to work on, which, um, which is what I'm motivated by. So hopefully. <laughs> You're right. I think it's it's about using your privilege and using your position as a white woman to affect change. And I think that's what everyone needs to do generally in life. And so if you have all this experience and this networks and stuff, and you can, like you said, start to affect change from the inside out, then I think that's amazing. And I'm sure it's maybe frustrating for you that it's taking longer to get to that like truly diverse group that you're you're aiming for. But progress is slow in these things and you have to keep just chipping away at it which is amazing I'm really interested about obviously you are a regional angel group and I'm really interested because I think that's also like another diversity issue is historically everything around startup life and investment and you know all of this kind of this whole world has been a guess primarily London centric certainly major city centric although I mean you probably know better than me but feels like places like Manchester and Birmingham, you know, even it's only the last few years that these sort of things have popped up there. Is that something that you've seen and again are hoping to challenge with Southeast Angel is is moving away from that gotta be in one place to get in the game? 
Yeah, that, that, that's, that's been a, a big motivation of starting it, again, because I was seeing a lot of people uh, in Brighton having to go to London, and, and it, it was causing people to move away from regions, because they were like, well, I have to be in London to be really... And actually, you know, I was like, fair, fair enough, like, be in the busiest, most um, exciting place to, to, if you want to be ambitious, that makes sense. But actually, it doesn't have to be like that. And because of the pandemic, like, that has accelerated that, and now, actually, it really doesn't matter um and the first four deals that we did nobody met each other in person at all wow you know it was completely remote and I, I hadn't really even thought about it that much until it was all kind of done and I was like oh my god we actually didn't meet and it didn't matter where anybody was uh you know and actually we've, we've done some investments into London which is kind of like the opposite of what I was trying to do but it doesn't matter it was you know it was around like creating an active group and and you know since then being able to invest in local companies as well so yeah, I think it's just been completely that that whole idea that you have to be in a certain place to raise has just absolutely changed, like almost overnight. And there's such a big opportunity in that now. And even investors, they're like, we don't have to go to London to find good companies to invest in. You know, so yeah, yeah it's I think really it's exciting. Well. It's definitely a positive of the pandemic. Like, there's not many, but I think that's definitely one. And I think it's it's brilliant that people can now be entrepreneurial or from an investment point of view or a founder point of view and you can go and live by the sea or you can go and live like you know in the peak district or wherever you want to be like I think that's really exciting how how has that remote thing worked and also when it comes to remote you know what about like incubators and accelerators and the whole process how has that changed through the pandemic and how do you see that changing moving forward like what how is the process working I suppose yeah, I think, um, I mean, a lot of accelerators have gone virtual and a lot of, you know, business communities have gone virtual, which um, I think there's some there's some pros and cons to it. The Some of the not great sides of it is that, you know, actually being in person around other people and that whole kind of role model aspect. I think, I think it's really important to get people together in person. But what it has done really well is actually, again, for female founders that maybe typically might be looking after children uh, and they can't go all the way to London to access this amazing London startup community uh, now they're able to do that virtually and it doesn't matter you know what time they join because they can do it and it's just like that there's so many positives to it and the same with investment and the same with accelerators so I'm hoping that it is opening the door to so many people who wouldn't normally access those communities totally. But at the same time, we all need to step forward and actually take up that support. And especially, like you said, it's I think that is challenging the diversity thing where, like you said, people that before couldn't access it. But also, do you still feel like some people don't know about these things? Do you know what I mean? They might not even yeah. know that it's available. Yeah, that it's, ex yeah, I mean, totally. And actually, do you know what? Like there was a point when I was working with startups before the accelerator I didn't even know that angel investor groups were a thing and, and I think to this day a lot of startup founders don't know that angel groups are a thing that you can go somewhere you can apply for funding and you can pitch to 20 investors like people just don't really know about that and same with accelerators that there are so many accelerators that you don't have to pay any money for they are free mm -hmm. and the reason that they're free is because there is so much to gain from big corporates or you know investors that they want to get loads of startup founders together and, and and get loads of great ideas in the room and loads of innovation in the room so there is actually a lot of really amazing free support out there there's a lot of amazing like you know it's, it's not always free and it doesn't mean that it, it's not good if it's not free I think and, and now we can access everything on online and so I think just a little bit of research goes a long way. Like there's so, so much out there. And the accelerator that I used to run was, was fully funded. It was completely free. Wow. And just being able to go into that community and get free co-working space and be able to network with all these amazing people and access mentors that you'd never been, be able to sit down next to, you know, just reach out on LinkedIn to. So yeah, I think anyone who is currently starting a business, running a business, just like, just get out there and do your research and ask people who've been there and done it because there's probably so much more out there than, than, than you think. Totally. And like you said, with the pandemic changing things, it's you'll probably be surprised that there's more going on in your local area than you might think. 
Because I think some people mm. who live in certain areas of the country might just not consider the accelerators or incubators or funding as an option for them because they just might think, well, it's just not around here. But actually, it sounds like there's there's communities and everything popping up and, and the pandemic has accelerated that, which is really cool. Are there any cons from this remote approach? Like, I'm really interested, how, how would a remote... Um, accelerator work versus a physical one you know and are there some cons to to being remote yeah i think in terms of how it work because because actually so i was still at the accelerator when we went into lockdown um and initially everything was in person uh and then suddenly we we had to go virtual and i think the it's it just well you just put everything on on zoom and everything on <laughs> you know um on on webinars and the, the thing that was great is we did end up co connecting so many more people across cities because suddenly mm. it was like you didn't just hang out with your local founders you started connecting with anyone it didn't matter where they were but the cons were that you know you couldn't have that going into a physical space of like buzzing activity and everyone working on their businesses you can't really replicate that online you know that that has a huge effect on on your motivation on yeah just like how you connect with people, you, you just can't replicate that. So I think that was probably the biggest um, con from, from it. Yeah, and I think that's the, the same for any kind of community. I think that it's amazing how everyone's adapted. You know, the Found and Flourish community, again, went from being real life events to being online. And I think it's been incredible. But now that things are opening up, you can just see like this need to actually be with people and, I think you can get a lot from online, like more than I think we ever thought was possible, which is great, but you sometimes just need to touch base. But again, if you if you live somewhere and then you get to kind of go, okay, on a weekly basis, I'm doing stuff online, but once every six weeks, I go somewhere and meet up with people, then it's amazing because it does kind of, kind of let you do that. I really wanted to run through like a few of the top tips, um, you know, that you've got for people that are at the start of this kind of funding journey or looking at accelerating things. But one thing I wanted to touch on that you said right at the start is about is about mindset. And I guess those are probably some of your biggest tips are changing people's mindset around that. What are the biggest myths around the process of getting investment or the process of even scaling a business that you would like to break down that you think maybe are holding people back? I think in terms of investment specifically, one of the biggest, like I don't know if it's like a myth, but it's something that a lot of people tend to think is that you need to have, you need to know people to raise money. And whilst that is true, you could raise money much easier if you knew a lot of rich people and you had loads of great contacts in the business world. Nowadays, and actually for a long time, like you don't need to have an amazing network to raise money. You just, you know, there's a lot of online communities where you can just reach out and it is people seem to think of investment as this whole other world that you need to get into. But all it is is just the same individuals just like you that have a lot of money. That's that's it. Like It's as simple as that. And I think when you break it down to something as simple as that, you realize how easy it is to access those people. So if you are raising funding for a business in a specific industry, you should think about who might have been successful in that industry already and you find them on LinkedIn and you ask them for some advice. And you know, if, they, if they're somebody that's exited a business in your industry, they're gonna have some money and they're likely wanting to support other businesses. And so if you just break it down to a really simple aspect of, you're just looking for people who are interested in what you're doing and they have money and, and, mm -hmm. you know, and, and will wanna support you. And uh, there, there is an amazing uh, resource online, uh, which is the UK Business Angel Association. And they list every angel group, every fund in the wow. UK and what they're interested in. And you can access that for free. You know, we're listed on it. We get a lot of our um, leads come in through that. So just going on that, you can you can get your pitch deck out to hundreds of angel investors. You know, and I think, again, a lot of people don't realize how simple it is. They're like, oh, you have to be in, in a specific crowd to know. But it's, it's all out there. It's all available. So I think just don't think that it's... Um, yeah, you have to be part of a special club to get investment. You absolutely don't. You just need to do your research, get yourself out there, tell everybody you know, because they'll then tell everybody you know, and then be really confident in what you're doing. Mm. Uh, and and the, a good way to get confident in what you're doing is to test 
your sort of um, assumptions, say, for example, how much money you're raising or your valuation, test it by telling somebody in a really confident manner and just see how they react. And I think as long as you're confident in how you say it, you, somebody might just be like, oh, okay, yeah, that, two million valuations, you know, that sounds all right. And you'd be like, oh, okay, that sounds good. And if they react badly, then, you know, maybe you lower it a little bit. So I think, yeah, being confident and just testing out is really, really important. And then the other thing I would say just in general about starting a business, this is something that has changed the way I do things so much. And I've I've learned it from being able to work with so many amazing founders is that a lot of us are in a much more privileged position than we think we are. And when you realize that, you will take so many more risks in life and business like for me, starting Southeast Angels in the middle of a pandemic and leaving um, a really secure job in a bank, you know, um, seemed like a really crazy thing to do. And it probably was. But the moment I realized that, you know, yes, I'm not going to have loads of savings to fall back on and, and this I could like lose and the, and the business doesn't work out. But I'm actually more privileged than I think like. I could just quite easily go and maybe get another job or I don't currently have children and you know just there's always something that we have that we might not realize so many other people don't have that privilege to be able to do so I think figuring out what your unfair advantage is and um, why taking a risk isn't so bad because we you know we're such resilient human beings like we can come back from anything Honestly, like when you can shift your mindset to that, you will just take more risks and therefore you will get so much more reward. Um, you'll raise more money, you'll you know, get more clients. I think it's really important to just, everyone should be taking more risks. <laughs> yeah, I think that's such great advice. And like you said, I think it's, it's about thinking like, what's the worst that can happen? Like really, like what is actually the worst that thing that could happen if this thing doesn't work out? And I think that whenever you start asking yourself those questions, even if it's like, you're going into pitch it's like what's the worst that can happen they 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 say no that's literally the worst thing that can happen and that's not the worst thing in the world really and i think it's a really good mindset shift Mm -hmm. in terms of and i love what you said about you don't have to know the right people necessarily you don't have to be in the right networks is there a right type of business that can get funding or should be going for funding or are we now in a situation where like if you have a great idea and you have a good business and you want to scale it then go for it and go and ask for funding there's definitely certain businesses that fit into more the kind of you're an investable business category and i think again this is something that a lot of people maybe don't know um and, and again the way to realize that is imagine if you are an investor and you have a hundred thousand pounds that you want to invest in companies and in order to if you're if you're going to do it in a smart way, you're going to split that amongst 10, 20 companies. And so what you want to make sure is if you're going to give somebody 10 grand, you want that 10 grand to give you a return, right? So mm-hmm. whoever you give that 10 grand to, you want to be able to see that that money can, um, you know, uh, grow to 100,000 potentially, that it has the capability to grow to 100,000. Even if you know that most of your investments will fail, um, just as startups do, but you want to know that it has the potential, right? So that that's the first thing to think about. So if you have to look at your business and think, does my business have the potential to be 10 times bigger than it is now? Does it have the capability to grow into that kind of business? And if it doesn't, then maybe it's, you know, it, it doesn't always have to be 10x, but it has to have some sort of uh, ambitious scalability. And, uh, and then also you have to remember that the investor wants their money back. So whatever you're building, as soon as you give away shares of the company, you have to realize that those investors are going to want to realize that money back at some point. So you need to be willing to sell your business or in a very rare situation, you might IPO, but most of the time it's an acquisition or, or, or something. So uh, some people are raising money and they don't realize that they're going to have to do that at some point. They're like, no, this is my business. I don't want to give it away at some point. So um uh, and and then of course it's the uh, even if you can grow to 10, 10 times the size of your business now, it, is it really scalable? And what I mean by that is, as your revenue grows, does your cost grow exactly the same way, or does it kind of stay uh, even? And that's why tech companies are much more investable because even they if they grow in user numbers, their cost tend to kind of stay the same, and that's because the mm. tech stays the same. Um, yeah. And that 
that's super, you know, super investable because the money, the profit's going to grow as the company grows. So it's those kind of things, figuring out if your business has that scalability aspect to it. Hope, yeah. hope I explained that. Um, yeah. You know, I, I've actually never heard it explained better. <laughs> like that actually makes so much sense to me about thinking about, yeah, if your if your business is getting bigger, but if your outputs and your outgoings are getting bigger and bigger, then you're not that profit's not going to happen, and that's not great for investors. So that makes total sense. Thank you. So I guess if we were to go through your top tips on raising funds and scaling your business and accelerators and all that sort of things. I'll kind of go through it like at a quick fire. So one thing I think we know is like, what is the first thing that people should do if they are considering going for investment? The first thing, I guess it depends where you're at, but I, I think the first thing is figure out what, well, you need to know exactly why you need investment and right. how much. And that will help you figure out what you do next in terms of who you speak what to. What about different investment options? We've obviously spoken a lot today about angel investing in terms of what you're doing. Um, but is there, there's obviously different ways, different routes. Have you got any tips for figuring out what might be the best route for you? Yeah, that, that's a really important question actually, because angel investment isn't for everybody. And, and, and I, again, it comes back down to that question of why do you need the money and what is it going to help you do? Um, because sometimes you could, if, say you're raising a small amount of money, like you're, maybe you're raising 20, 50K, um, and you don't really want to give away shares of your business, uh, maybe you should go for a grant or a loan or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's, it's not that quite different. You, you know, you're going to have to pay that money back to the investor anyway. I know they're taking more of a risk than, for example, a bank, and you might not be able to get a loan from a bank at an early stage. But yeah, it's figuring out what you actually need it for, what's your end goal. That will help you figure out what kind of funding to get. Crowdfunding is a great... Um, choice in terms of like equity crowdfunding and that's when you're raising uh, equity funding from a huge group of everyday investors so you and I could go on Cedars and just put in £10, £50 into a company which is really exciting you know an exciting new world of investment and it means that anybody can raise from thousands of people um, but then you have loads of kind of mini investors in there um, and that's a great marketing campaign so if you need to do that then that makes sense but I think angel investment makes sense if you if you know exactly, you're trying to get to the next stage and you need money to activate that and you know that actually bringing somebody on board that has a bit of expertise and can open some doors for you and you want to just keep it really simple, I think that's where angel investment works really well. Um, what about accelerators and incubators? So obviously I know accelerators is kind of where you were previously and now you're moving more into the investment space, but do you find people sometimes get confused between what an accelerator and an incubator is? And like, again, a bit like the invest, the different forms of investment, what advice would you give to people if they're trying to figure out whether an accelerator is for them? Uh, yeah, so, so accelerators and incubators, I think uh, an incubator is basically where you are, like, as the name suggests, you're incubated in the space and you're provided with kind of support, but you're not exactly being pushed to accelerate to a certain point. I think right. that's kind of the... The, the main gist of it and with an accelerator you tend to be on a program where you're trying to get somewhere quicker so rather than going through testing and validation for a year without the support that you'd need you can do it in three months time right. and you're being accelerated by being provided with loads of different support um, and then whether it's for you I think you know if you can find a great accelerator that's going to give you great access, loads of resources. I don't know why it wouldn't be for you. Mm -hmm. So I think you just got to find the right one. The, the, only, the only thing I would question is around timing. So if it's the right time for you, um, say for example, you're just out there now just selling and you just don't have time to focus on the business, then you're not gonna be able to get the most out of an accelerator. So it's more about when can you get the most out of it personally and finding yeah. the right time. Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's a really good idea because also you don't want to, like burn out like you don't want to be trying to run your business like sell you know and then be going and do your accelerator stuff around mental health like do you have any kind of advice on protecting your mental well-being and like your emotional because i imagine that going for investment must feel like very personal sometimes like i suppose it might feel like a real hit to your confidence or a hit to your yeah your self-esteem like do you do you have any advice for founders who yeah, need to like build that resilience to go in and get the investment. Yeah, do, do you know what? This is going to sound like a really weird bit of advice, but what's just popped into my head is actually, basically what you want to do, like you said, it can feel quite personal and if someone's saying no and, you know, 
maybe even tearing apart your business model and saying this isn't going to work. And the, the best way to counteract that is to speak to loads of people because say uh, you spoke to two investors and they both said no and it just it feels huge because like you spoke to two and that's 100% said no and it feels horrible. Whereas, you know, what you really should be doing is you sp- should be speaking to hundreds and sending out your pitch deck to hundreds of people. And by doing that, you're going to get so much more of a diverse response. Even mm. like 99% of it might be no's and that's quite normal. And what you'll realize is the more you speak to investors, the more you realize what a normal process, you know, being said no to is because it yeah. is, it's not, it's not personal. Um, but you'll learn so much from that process. If you can get 99 investors to say no to you, imagine how much you'll learn from that. Yeah. It will be so, it'll be like the best accelerator. Like <laughs> you will learn so much from it. So I think um, actually doing, putting a lot of time into it and actually speaking to loads of investors is the best way to build resilience. Um, even though you'll be hearing the no more. I hope that, I hope that makes sense. But I really feel like that is the solution <laughs> to that. I to think, that. yeah, it's the more you do it, the more you realize it's not so personal. Like it's a bit of a numbers game basically. And mm-hmm. like eventually some you'll click yeah. and you'll find the right person and it will feel amazing, but it might take a while for you to do that. Do you think that it's important to work with people that understand your sector and your product? But are there times when actually that doesn't matter so much? Like, what would you think founders should be looking for in their investor if it's not just, okay, they know my sector? I think if you're raising angel investment, it's quite, you're you're probably giving away like, I don't know, five to 30% of your business at an early stage. So that person's going to be quite a big part of your journey. Um, Even if some investors maybe tend to be, uh, you know, take a back seat, but they're still going to own a, you know, a chunk of your business. So I think you want to make sure that you just get on with them, that, you know, that you're going to be able to have a good conversation and a good conversation doesn't have to be that they're just really nice to you because you also want your investors to really chat. They're going to challenge you in a way that nobody else will because it's their money on the line. So you want them to be really challenging in a positive way, but you need to be able to get on with them. If you bring an investor on board, that is just an absolute nightmare. That's going to be constantly stressing you out it's going to be, it's not going to be great, right? Mm -hmm. You don't need that when you're trying to build a business. I've actually, you know, worked with some founders who've said their investors are on their back all the time trying to like get them to hurry up and make sales and do all this stuff. And it's like, you need that challenge. You need that pressure, but you also don't need it to be day to day. Mm -hmm. You know, an investor puts their money, they step back and then they join your board meetings every now and again to really challenge you. So yeah, you have to get on with it. Yeah, I think that's a really good piece of advice. So a couple of questions from our audience. One is, um, what's I guess it's through your whole career and where you've been working with startups so closely. Mm. What is the biggest mistake that you've seen startup founders make? And it could be around investment or it could be just generally running a business. Biggest mistake? I, I'd probably say it will have to be something around not validating your product or service enough. So somebody will build their whole technology or go to market with something that they haven't tested enough and then suddenly it doesn't quite work how they expected to because Mm -hmm. the customer's not willing to pay for it or they're not using it in the way they'd hoped and all of that happens because you know you're not talking to customers early enough so I think in general that tends to be the most common problem and mistake and and again with investors it's the same thing you're always going to be questioned like how much have you tested if you're raising money at a point where you haven't even made money yet it's all about the proof of what you've tested and validated. So I would just say, you know, turning that into a tip is just talk to your customers from day one and just always collect that data and validation. Like you said, it's, it's going to help you from just growing your business that you're going to have the answers when the investors come to you with these questions. You're going to be able to say like, we did this focus group or we did this beta test or whatever it is. And yeah, be able to give them some really solid feedback. And then there's another question that came from the audience, but I think it's a really lovely one actually to, to end on is what is the future vision for South East Angels? Oh, I love this. So I I mean, it's still early days, so I haven't got a very specific end goal in mind. But number one is just really achieving that mission that I set out to, which is to increase investment in the local area here in the southeast and in Brighton specifically. So if we can just see that number go up and contribute to that, that is, you know, that that's a big goal for us. Um, of course, I want to keep growing the group and keep diversifying the group. If I can, you know, speak to you a year later and say we've got a really diverse group of investors, that would be amazing. 
um, and likewise in our investments, which we've been better in terms of the diversity in investments, but it's, it's more around the investor side. So yeah, I, th- I think at the moment we are the only angel group in Brighton. I'd like us to be the most active investor community in, in Brighton and in the Southeast and to ideally introduce some really amazing things that is going to help diversity, which I honestly think like even though a lot of fixing diversity issues is around time yeah in time it will happen but how long is that going to take right so how can we take some shortcuts Mm. and a big part of that is making it easier for example for women to invest with smaller smaller amounts of money or making it easier for um, female founders to raise money by uh, giving them some guidance or structures so I would love to see Southeast Angels in a place where we are uh, contributing to to that solution amazing well we'd definitely love to have you back in a year's time and see how it's going because it's it's, (laughs) yeah i'm super super excited to see how you go so how can people find you how can we support you how can you know if people want to be part of southeast angels from a startup point of view how can we where where are you at where are you hanging out online (laughs) Uh, Well, if you are a startup and you want to, you want to raise funding, uh, you can find us on southeastangels.co.uk and all information's on there. You can apply for funding directly and you can reach out to us for some support. We've got quite a few resources on our website that are free just in terms of like how to find investors, how to create your pitch deck, all that basic stuff. Um, And we, we do also run a workshop every month around how to raise funding, which we have a discount code specifically for the Found uh, and Flourish community. Oh, amazing. I'm sure Colleen yeah, we'll put it in the show notes and share with everybody. Yeah. Through our website, it's probably the best way to do that. And I'm always happy to support any female founders that just want to chat about their investment raise, you know, because I think it's all in those small conversations that we can really make a difference. So I'm always open to connecting on LinkedIn. And, and- Christina, thank you so much for your time. It's just been so full of gems of knowledge and I've no doubt that your vision for Southeast Angel is going to come true and really excited to see how many different amazing businesses that you help. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Connie. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Bossing It. We would love it if you could rate, review and subscribe on your favourite podcast platform as it will help other people find us. You can also find us on social media at Found Flourish everywhere, where you can tweet us, slide into our DMs or get in touch however you like to nominate a guest or ask us any questions that you've got about the topics we're covering in the series. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next week.